This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now, it's time to get to work. We have another special edition podcast for the Mile High Report radio podcast. Uh, Ian, we're, we're joined by Trevor Stickema again. Tampa Bay Trey is with us. Uh, that is at Tampa Bay Trey on Twitter. Uh, we did a little pre-draft with, uh, with you, Trey, and now we've got you back for post-draft, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that's how it goes, right? I mean, like, that's why I implant myself in the pre-draft podcast so that you guys have to invite me back for the post-draft stuff. So this is all a part of my master plan, so this is perfect. I like it's it. Brilliant. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant plan. And the obligation isn't that bad. We like having you on, so it, it makes it all the, all the <laughs> much more better. That's, so. good, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so, you know what? Let's let's dive in with some questions about the draft. Obviously, um, the Broncos did some things, made some moves. Uh, what what did you think of? We'll just jump into the first round. What did you think of their move in the first round to trade back to twenty uh, and, and pick a tight end in no Fant? Yeah, I think that certainly looking at it in in hindsight, and I'm sure that we'll eventually get to the Drew Lock pick quickly here. But in hindsight, I mean, I had in my final mock draft, I was hurt. I was told that man there could be some quarterback cr- frenzy at the top like in the top 10 like oh you know denver could take a quarterback at 10 perhaps even denver moves up for a quarterback there were teams like miami and washington um and the, the giants obviously who also wanted a quarterback as well so for the broncos to navigate the draft in which they did where they moved down 10 spots now i i kind of thought the broncos could have got more for a team moving from 20 to 10 but that's honestly the worst part of the nitpicking that I could say about the trade and the selection because I love Noah Fan in this offense. I think he's going to be a great addition to what the Broncos are trying to do. Um, I think he's a good centerpiece for how they're going to build the rest of their offense as they kind of come into their own over the next couple of years, especially with uh, a veteran quarterback. Certainly right now, you want to be able to have a stable offense with him, but then obviously more towards looking towards the future. You're hoping Noah Fant's really raring to go, hitting his prime in, say, year two, year three. And so the fact that they could move back from 10 to 20 um, and really, you know, if you, if you think about Hawkinson going at number eight, full, really a lot of people were flip-flopping with Fant Hawkinson. Like, hey, even, even if you would have been a Hawkinson's tight end one kind of a person, for them to get picked 12 picks apart, 
is, I mean, it's pretty crazy for me to think about that. So for the fact that the Broncos were the ones that capitalized that move all the way back to number 20, um, picking Noah Fant, because I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty confident that the Patriots would have moved up to 21 uh, with the Seattle Seahawks to take Noah Fan at 21 had the Broncos not taken him at 20. So anytime you're snubbing Bill Belichick, I think you're doing the right thing. So that's why that gives me, me, me even more confidence in that pick with Fant. Um, I think he's going to be a great addition to him. And like I said, the way that they navigated the draft in order to get to that point, I think it was kind of a win-win for, for what the Broncos were doing. In terms of the second round, Elway navigated again mm-hmm. to have the 41st pick and pick the one that I wanted, and I think all the Broncos country wanted, and Dalton Reisner. But then to navigate back up with Cincinnati to 42 and get Drew Locke, who, as you said, a lot of a, a lot of prognosticators, a lot of draft experts had Locke going way earlier in the first round, at least yeah. in the first round, and then to yeah. get him at 42. What do you make of just the, the navigation and in, in terms of the overall draft in general? Because they didn't they also trade up to get. Uh, Juwan Winfrey from CU in the sixth sure. round. So yeah. they, they made three moves over the course of the draft, not including Dakota Watson. So what do you make overall of those moves and then the, the, the second round picks and the third round pick and then just in general for the Broncos? Yeah, I like this draft a lot. I really do. And um, on our live show, when we were doing our, our, our live stream during the draft, what was going on, we said this early on day two. Uh, we saw guys go pretty early on day two who I really liked, um, who I thought were in position to really make an impact for a lot of teams. And that's when I said early day two is really where GMs make their money. Like sometimes you hear the phrase, oh, you know, you got to hit on your first round picks to be a good GM because they got to they gotta pan out. Okay, that's true. Oh, you know, the guys, the sleepers that you find on day three, uh, those are the, the make or break things for GM. Okay, yes, I get that. But every single year, there is an opportunity for teams to take advantage of guys who should have been first-round picks, especially for each team, that end up going in the second round. And it's that beginning of the second round area, really that top half of the second round. Um, Because here, if you think about it like this, this is how I break it down. You know that teams have differing boards, right? There are going to be guys who are higher on certain teams' boards, lower on most teams' boards or a consensus. There are weird picks every year, right? I mean, like, let's just say Cleveland Farrell going number four overall, right? If a guy gets picked early on or mainly at the end of the first round who was not a first-round pick on these other guys' boards, every single time that happens, another first-round guy gets pushed down the board, pushed down the board, pushed down the board. So all of a sudden, at the top of the second round now, you might, as a team, have... 10 guys that you might have taken with at the end of a first round pick, like might've traded up for that are there in the second round. So all that to say this for the Broncos to come away from the top half of the second round with Dalton Reisner and with drew lock huge win. I thought they navigated it very well. And I love the players that they picked too, because those two things don't always go hand in hand, right? Sometimes I'll watch GMs really navigate the draft well with trading up and down but then I won't love who they ultimately pick, right? And so it doesn't always get married there. One does does not always come with the other, but I think it really did for the Broncos. And so those two first-round picks, I think Riser's going to be a great fit for them. I think it's going to be a great culture fit um, next to the guys that they already have, especially the young guys that they're trying to, to bring up. Uh, I think he's going to be able to fit in right away, either at guard attack or whatever they need him to be. And I think I was talking on your podcast even about the versatility before the draft that Dalton Reisner has. And so in that sense, I think that it's a great pick. And then I think Drew Locke is perfect 
for Denver, right? I mean, they've already got Joe Flacco in there. He's kind of the guy right now. It makes total sense that these two dudes and the molds of who they are as quarterbacks can help each other out. And I think that I really do think that Drew Locke can kind of give Joe Flacco some new life over the next couple of years at embracing his role, not only as the starting quarterback of this team, but also a guy who's going to hand the reins over. And then certainly with who Drew Locke is compared to who Joe Flacco is, it's going to be an easy teachable moment to hopefully make it an easy transition because a lot of times we just kind of assume, like we all assume with the Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers thing, like, oh yeah, Brett Favre will just hand the reins over and it'll be fine. It doesn't always work like that. But I do think that this situation is one where it sets up pretty well to potentially be something that makes it a smooth transition. So those two, those two second round picks I thought were home runs both in, in their own way for Denver. And then there's Draymond Jones, who a lot of people think could end up being a sleeper or a, a, the steal of the draft coming mm-hmm. from Ohio State. And then there's Justin Hollins as well. Right. What do you make of those two picks in the fourth and then, or like, I guess the, the third and then the uh, what fifth round since they traded the fourth round pick to get Drew Locke? Yeah, when I'm looking at this at this draft top to bottom and we're going through our draft grades now for the Broncos. I wasn't I'm not sure if I was assigned the Broncos or not, so I haven't taken a look at it just pen to paper, but I did right before I got on this show and I've got to say man, this is one of my favorite draft classes. I'm not Draymond Jones's biggest fan, but getting him at 71 is totally fine. Like I I think he's like simply a finesse gap shooting overly athletic interior guy. A lot of people were talking about him as an end of the first round kind of a player and I'm like Yo, he's not that complete. Like, he's not that complete of a dude. You can't take him at the end of the first round. But the third or fourth round range was totally fine for me with Draymond Jones. And so I think that he's got going to be a guy in Fangio's offense that could be aggressive, play a certain type of role as a pass rushing interior player. And I think that they're going to utilize that well. Same thing with Justin Hollins. We went into the year thinking. Jalen Jelks was going to be the main pass rusher for Oregon, and it ended up being Hollins. I mean, Hollins had a lot more success, and I was at the East-West Shrine game and all the practices there down down in St. Pete, and he was really flashing. He's a big dude. I mean, he's like a legit 6'5", 250, a little bit skinnier because he's such got such a lanky body, but he was giving you some speed elements there at 6'5", which is very difficult to do. Um, not everybody can do that kind of stuff. And so I think he's going to be an outside linebacker in what Fangio is trying to do, but he's going to be a pretty successful one too. So really like those picks. And then Juwan Winfrey in the sixth round. I mean, it's a six-round pick, so you can't complain too much about it because you never know with these guys. He's certainly a developmental player. The only thing that would have made this pick better uh, is if it was actually Kelvin Harmon because Kelvin Harmon somehow went way after Juwan Winfrey. So that probably would have been the only way that I would have thought uh, that I that I look at this one win, win for pick and be like, yeah, but it could have been Kelvin Harmon. But <laughs> other than that, honestly, top to bottom, really loved what the Broncos did. I really do. Yeah, just real quick, one of the things that we talked about, it looked like in the t- in the first 71 picks, they took four guys that were in a lot of people's top 50. So, yeah. I, I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's a win right there. What do you see right now, though, as one of the biggest remaining holes that the Broncos have going into the 2019 season? Well, I think it obviously it kind of depends what they do at corner, right? I mean, like that's kind of my biggest question mark because we heard the entire draft weekend, Chris Harris being upset, like, is this dude going to stay or go? And the fact that they didn't really address it at all 
it makes me kind of nervous for what's going to go on with them because like if they end up having to move on for Chris Herrick, maybe it's just a, a relationship that's not salvageable. I don't know. I was hearing all kinds of stuff on draft weekend of, of what might be going on with Chris Harris. So I, it, I think it all depends on what is going on with him because he's such a superstar and obviously what they're trying to do, obviously he's getting up there in age. He's owed a lot of money. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but I really thought that they were going to address that position a little bit more as an insurance Obviously, they didn't, but it was the same thing down in Tampa. With I, I, they're kind of in the same situation with Gerald McCoy down in Tampa, and the Bucks didn't draft a single interior defensive lineman before the seventh round. And so, I don't know. Maybe teams are just kind of bent on their own negotiation powers. But for the Broncos, especially for what Fangio likes to do, he's going to need a, a an aggressive kind of a corner. So maybe they really are trying to salvage Harris's situation with them. But other than that, um. Yeah, I, I just think that that's got to be the main the main thing that they were looking for. What was your favorite pick that Elway made over the weekend? Oh, it's it's one of the first three. I think, I think it's Locke. I really, I think it's Locke, just because he got him at forty two. I, I mean, like I thought Drew Locke was going top ten, man, and to get him all the way at forty two. That's a home run to me, you know. So that, that that's you able you getting you're almost never able to sit that far back in your seat and get the quarterback that you want. And I think that they really did want Drew Locke. But I guess that we thought that they wanted him more than they really did because they ended up picking twice at 20 and then at 41 Drew Locke wasn't either of those selections. I guess 41 is kind of cheating because they also had 42. So it's kind of like you could have flipped them and it wouldn't really matter. But they had the opportunity to take Drew Locke all the way at number 20, and they didn't. So they must have really, really trusted their intel about – and that's, that's, I think, a key part of, of, of the draft and how you navigate it. You've got to have good intel on what other teams are going to do because if you're sitting there at 20 and you know you don't pick for another 20 picks and we're talking about a quarterback, that you want for you to just let him buy at 20, pick a tight end and be like, yeah, we're going to roll the dice and hopefully drew lock will be there. That's tough to do. That takes some balls as a GM. And that's why I thought that I'll say that the drew lock pick is the most impressive one because of the Intel that they must've had on the other teams that they weren't going to move up or they weren't going to be too aggressive for lock. And then certainly taking their time and picking them where it almost seemed like this was the last chance that they were going to have to pick him, but they 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 got it done and they got their guy. So anytime that you can do something like that, I think it was a win as a fit. I think it was a win as a player and certainly a win in how they navigated the draft. What do you make of the complaint coming from some of the Denver media saying that if, well, if you really like Drew Locke and you're going to pick him at, you're going to pick right. him at 42, but not 10, why don't you pick him at 10 if you really, really like him? That means you don't really, really like him. Uh, look, you know, that's a that's kind of a valid thing to say. You could also say that with the Washington Redskins when they picked Dwayne Haskins. Like, how do you sit there and wait at 15 to pick a quarterback in the first round? There's some, I you know, like, I see that angle. But the thing is that, like, now that he's on the team, what does it matter? Because if you had Drew Locke as a top 10 potential pick, and let's say, like, before the draft as a writer or as a, as a media member, you go, okay, Drew Locke is worth the top 10 pick. I think the Broncos are going to take him at number 10 overall, and that is the right pick for them because they need the quarterback. After the draft, if they got him at 42, what are you complaining about? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, that part I don't really get. And so there's validation to the fact that, hey – Maybe you weren't as high on this guy as you thought. But I guess that all goes down to, like I said, knowing, having a good intel on what 
the teams are going to do. And the second that, that Daniel Jones went off the board at six and then Haskins went off the board at 15, maybe they truly knew like, hey, Cincinnati's not a threat to take him. So why do we have to take him at 20? Miami's not going to take a quarterback. We've already been told that they like Josh Rosen, so they're not going to draft Drew Locke. Or maybe they don't like Locke at all. So then all of a sudden, there's not really teams that are in the market for quarterbacks that high. So I, I don't know, man. I, I that That's kind of media, – media people who are doing that, I get it. I can't like necessarily poke a hole in that argument. But you're flipping a positive into a negative – for really like no reason at all right i mean like he's on the team they did a good job to get him they picked him at the very last second that's something to praise not necessarily something to be like oh well they don't really like him you don't know that you really don't know that maybe they just had a really good feel with how the draft was gonna fall and they played it right yeah i thought they i I have to agree with you and i'm not a big fan of the drew lock pick because i feel like it takes the broncos out of the uh the trevor lawrence uh, lottery, which is what I really wanted, but I, that's sort of my own little pipe dream I'm living in. One of the things that I'm curious about the offensive line you mentioned with, and obviously with Dalton Reisner, that's that's a pretty big acquisition for them. That's a nice draft pick as well. But do you still think they need to do something at center? Like it feels like they just sort of took Connor McGovern and moved him over to center. Matt Paradis is gone. Should they have done something there to to try and shore that up, or do you think that there's they're they're set at offensive line? Well, I kind of, I mean, like, I like the moves that they made. So, uh, y- y- your chips are kind of on the table at this point. So, I would have, ra- now, Dalton Reiser, I will say this. There are people who think that Dalton Reiser's best position in the NFL is at center. So, picking him is truly like a Swiss Army knife of an, of an offensive lineman. They're going to be able to plug and play Dalton Reiser kind of wherever they need to. And more often than not, over the last couple of years, when I've talked to different coaches, it truly is a best five out there. Like they're 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 not going to sit here and be like, oh well, this guy played this traditionally or this, so we can't move him here. We got this guy. That they're going to do whatever they can to get the best five out there uh, when it comes to the offensive line. And so, depending on where these players execute best, you know, you would assume in mini camp and then training camp, seeing what the preseason is like, they might be able to shift guys around here and there. But um, I think McGovern's fine. I, I mean, like I said, they. They kind of just have their chips on the table at this point. These are their guys. They just need to figure out which combination of playing them where makes the most sense because if you were going to have a fix, you would have had to do it before this. So now you might as well just kind of run the gamut of of this offensive line combination, see which one works best, and and be able to protect the quarterback as best you can. Since we're diving into these reader questions that we're getting from Twitter, uh, this one's from Vinicius Reese. He's a Broncos fan from Brazil. He wants to know um, what we think of John Elway as a GM. He's uh, He says that he's getting criticized for his job over the last few years. What what do you make of Elway, especially the last two years with his drafts and the way he's been able to, to basically, I think, kill it over the last two years? Yeah, certainly. I think over the last two years he's done well. Now we've got a – these are waiting period and, and justifiably so to where you judge a draft class and what they ultimately become. But it seems like last year's class is coming along strong the way it needs to. And like I said, I really loved the picks in theory that he made this year. And so honestly, going into last year, into this year, I thought, and even going into this draft, I thought Elway was kind of on thin ice. I, I kind of thought, Hey, he's got to nail this draft, not only from a roster, like a total roster standpoint, but especially from a quarterback standpoint, because this is something that Elway has not been able to figure out um, since Peyton Manning. So I think that he did the right thing this year in 
addressing the quarterback position where he needed to, giving them kind of hope in the long term in that area. But I'm a big fan of what he's done over the last two drafts. And so this is a guy that I, I was I was thinking that Elway's days were potentially numbered. I've also been told that maybe he's not going to stick around that much longer regardless, even if this class is great. Um, people have been telling me, hey, this is the last, you know, the next quarterback that he gets in here, whether it's free agency or the draft or whatever, that's going to be the last quarterback that he ends up bringing to the team, whether it has success or not. He's either going to ride off into the sunset or it's not going to be where what it needs to be. And so perhaps his days are numbered anyways, but honestly, these last two drafts, I think, are, are putting this team in the right direction. And he's kind of hitting his groove here as a GM when it comes to the draft. Yeah, that's actually something that I've said about both the the hire of Vic Fangio. I think this is the last head coach that he'll hire, and I, I think the the draft as well. The, this is the last quarterback he's ever going to draft, which again sort of hurts uh, me a little bit. I got to apologize. My question came from Football Verrucht in Germany, so we got we're, we're a little worldwide tonight. That's kind of yeah, we're fun. going glo- we're going global yeah, we're going tonight. Global. It's kind of fun. I, I do have another question from uh, Coach Vinny, East Coast Calcio. Calcio means soccer in Italian, for those of you that don't know. Uh, And I I think this is a really good question because after the draft, this was an area I think people thought was going to be an area of focus, and it wasn't. Uh, He he says, how does the second level line up in Fangio's defense? He's worried about uh, a Jewel-Davis pairing in in the linebacking core. Um, what, What do you think of that? Yeah, outside of corner, I mean, I know I said corner because Chris Harris is such a big deal, but honestly, you know, like interior linebacker is is the other one that would be the, the glaring need that they have after the draft. The problem is there just weren't good linebackers. So like even if they would have selected a linebacker, I, I fear that all that that would have done is simply been like, okay, yep, we checked the box. We drafted a linebacker. There you go, fans. But like these guys weren't going to really be in interior at linebacker position. If you didn't get Devin White or Devin Bush – you weren't getting a, a very high-impact linebacker. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. So, is it a worry for the Broncos? Yes. I don't know what top 10 in this draft. And the Broncos even traded out of 10 to allow the Steelers to select Devin Bush at 10. So, you, you just weren't getting an impact inside linebacker. And if you would have taken an inside linebacker over one of the other guys that they had selected, it would have been the wrong pick because you just would have been doing it to check the box, like I said, being like, oh, pick the linebacker, there you go, that's the need. And you would not have been taking how talented each prospect was into effect. I'm looking at their draft, and I mean, like, I I don't know where I would substitute a linebacker in, and as a matter of fact, I wouldn't. So is it a weakness? Yes. Could they have really addressed it in the draft? Mm, Probably not. Donna? on a little you touched a little bit on it at the at the top of the podcast about Noah Fant when we talked about what his role could be in this offense especially with Rich Scangarello but Gary Abrams Z Lucky 77 is asking about the tight end position especially for this season what will it look like what will Jake Butts role be is he expected I think it's he he's he he's asking if he's expected to be back a hundred percent, and I don't think Jake Butt will ever be a hundred percent, given he can't stay healthy. Mm-hmm. He's asking about uh, Jeff Hireman and what his role will be, but mainly, what role will Fant play in this offense now with Rich Scangarello? Is it going to be like a George Kettle, like he like Charles Shanahan used him in San Francisco? Could it be like Shannon Sharp did in Mike Shanahan's and Gary Kubiak's offense? Could it be something like that? Because I think Sharp and Fan are similar in terms of their athleticism and, and how they play the position. But 
What do you make of the tight end position now? Yeah, it's. I think they're going to continue to go vertical with the tight end position, especially looking at the depth chart the way that you see it now. It's just a lot of pass catchers, right? And so I, I think that that's certainly where they're going. They're trying to create those mismatch opportunities as much as they can. And no offense, really tough to cover. I mean, this is the guy who was put up better athletic numbers than O.J. Howard even did a couple of years back. And so he is a legitimate option to not only make an impact, but even be their starting tight end, as I kind of expect him to right away. And I think that they want to do that by getting vertical. They want this dude running up the seam. They want him running outside post things. They want him be, to be able to stretch the field up the middle, make that second level drop back into coverage, freeing up that interior, letting the run game thrive in that way. Because it's not just, you know, it's not just through play action on the outside that creates running lanes. It's also being a weapon up the middle. And I think they never, they've tried to duplicate that certainly with Hireman, you know, with drafting Troy Fumagalli, with drafting Jake, Butt, they've been trying to find that guy to truly stretch that middle of the field vertically. And I don't think that they found him yet until now. I think Noah Fant can be that guy. He's got the athleticism to do so. You can't sleep on him. You can't let the linebackers, stay shallow towards the line of scrimmage. You can't let the safeties drop too far back. You've always got to keep one up and one eye open for this guy. And so I think in that sense, he's much more of a manipulator and a guy who can free up space in the rest of the offense than these other guys. And I think they're going to do that by continuing to allow Noah Fant to run vertical concepts and get down the field. So, I mean, that's also good for guys like like Joe Flacco and like Drew Locke because they're trying to push that ball down the field. I mean, Drew Locke had Albert okay the last couple of years, and he loved it. He really thrived off of that. Joe Flacco is a guy who's never afraid to push it down the field no matter who it is. And so I think in that sense, it's it. you're going to see him get really vertical with that tight end position. Cool. Um, do you think there's going to be <laughs> – cool, yeah, good transition. Uh, do, you, <laughs> <laughs> do you think there's going to be a quarterback controversy in Denver now that they've got Drew Locke? I, I don't get the, the sense that you do. But uh, Jennifer Pearson, who is a, a a big listener of the show and someone who likes to who who likes to make sure we all know she loves her Oklahoma quarterbacks uh, and, and hates Joe Flacco as well, she she is curious about that. I, I don't think there will be. I get the sense that you would agree with me on that. Well, I mean, you certainly hope there isn't, right? I mean, like you hope Joe Flacco is starting the entire year. You hope it's not a miserable year, and you hope that Joe Flacco starts the entire year because you want Drew Locke to sit. I think that they, you should want Drew Locke to sit the whole year. He's got a lot to figure out with his lower body mechanics. Um, he's got a lot to figure out when it comes to the speed of the game. His arm is great, but he's got to make sure that his technique is where it needs to be to get the most out of it in the NFL because certainly he's still going to do some of these wacky, you know, little Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes-esque kind of throws because he has the arm to do it, but – those guys have learned to do it at NFL speed. And if you ask Drew Locke, and both of those guys did what? They sat early on. And if you ask Drew Locke to do that, become somebody he's never been, then you're asking for trouble. So a quarterback controversy because you're hoping Joe Flacco's in the whole time. And I, I mean, that's certainly, I think, what the plan is for the Broncos. But we all know that, hey, if you start the year one and four, one and five, then you start talking about some tricky quarterback situations. So is there one right away? No, I don't think so. But, you know, if you're if you're way below 500, six, seven games into the season, they're going to play Drew Locke. That's just the way that the current NFL is. And so you're hoping that that's, never, that's not going to be the case. But, um, yeah, that's kind of how I see it. That ties into the last question that we got from Lindsey O.K., who is definitely one of the biggest Joe Flacco fans out there. 
Is Joe Flacco elite? Uh, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joe Flacco was elite for one year, and he was like the most unstoppable quarterback of 2014 or whenever it was that they won. But uh, he is no longer elite, so we're gonna have to. I'm sorry, Lindsay. I know Lindsay. I know that's Lindsay's brand, and she capes for it hard. But uh, I'm gonna be a hater in this moment, and I'm gonna say that he's not elite. Is he in his prime? Ooh. Is he currently in his prime? Uh, no. I'm also gonna say no. He is not in his prime. How how far down the hill is he? I mean, uh, if you get three competent years out of Flacco, competent. that is a like godsend. I think <laughs> the word competent. And and quarterback play. Don't well, I'm often... also just a giant skeptic of quarterbacks. Right. Like I think so many more quarterbacks in the league are just straight bad than most people <laughs> are like fair to admit. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just a cynic when it comes to quarterback. Play. No, I, I think all the Broncos fans would agree with you I, when yeah. it comes to competent. Because Broncos <laughs> fans haven't had competent quarter play, quarterback play even in Peyton Manning's final year. They didn't really happen. Well, he was yeah. competent. He just wasn't capable. There's a difference. That's well, true. That's that's true. true. I think I think Peyton Manning right now today is competent. Yeah. He just can't he just can't throw the ball anymore. When you can't feel your fingertips at a certain point, it's time never to a, move never on. Never a good right? thing. I've heard that fingers are important for football. Yeah. Well, at least for for the quarterback and the wide receiver and the That's true. Back Jason and, Pierre-Paul doesn't need all of them and he's getting double digit sacks down in Tampa Bay, so yeah, how many? How many is he right. missing? Is it like he's missing like three? Right? Uh, I think it's like two and a half. Two and a half. If we're being honest, okay. but yeah, hey, dude, he had twelve and a half sacks last year. I couldn't believe it. It was like it's crazy. <laughs> two, two for every finger missing, or something like that. Right? <laughs> I don't teach math. I might be wrong. Somebody will correct me on Twitter. I'm sure. Uh, I I don't know. What else? Do we got any other questions or anything else we need to cover here? I think that pretty much covers it. We we started off strong. Very loving of the Broncos and <laughs> ended up talking about it, it, somebody's hand blowing up. It, it was elite to start the podcast. <laughs> elite start. Then we became Joe Flacco. Listen, you guys set you guys set up the podcast this way. I don't have any control over that. That's right. Exactly. It's, not, it's all on the hosts. We Trevor's popped it out there and expected it to Oh, at the last moment, he sneaks it in. <laughs> Very nicely done. Uh, we got to say thank you, Trevor. Trevor Sikama at Tampa Bay Trey. Check him out. He's bumming on his his Ning Dynasty, but he's loving the Avs, so that's fine. Um, but we're we're happy to have you on. We can't wait till uh, we get get you on again. The Draft Network is a, a great place to go for all your draft information, and uh, next year's draft should be just as much fun. And and we'll hopefully have you on again. Yeah, guys. Uh, seriously, anytime you guys want to have me on, I'm uh, I'm more than willing. You guys are a lot of fun, and uh, yes, absolutely, go abs. Thanks, Trevor. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at MileHighReport.com. And as always, go Broncos.